All right, everyone. It looks like we are live on Facebook. Good afternoon. Uh, I'm Spencer Tuma, Missouri Farm Bureau's Director of National Legislative Programs. We'd like to welcome you to the second installment of our 2021 virtual legislative briefing series. We're really glad that you all could join us today, either on Zoom or via our social media channels. In just a moment, I will turn it over to our president, Garrett Hawkins, for some opening comments, and then he will introduce our special guests, Director of Agriculture, Christian, and Governor Mike Parson. Uh, before we get started, after our special guests make remarks, we will be taking questions. Um, if you have a question, there are several ways you can ask them, and I'll get ready to go over those. If you are on the phone or if you need to get something to write with, go ahead and get ready. Uh, the first way to ask a question is if you're watching on Zoom, you can type your question into the Q&A box. If you don't know where that box is, you can kind of move your mouse on your computer and it should be at the bottom of your screen. If you're watching on Facebook Live, please feel free to type your question into the comment area. And last, if you're just joining us by phone today, you can still ask a question by texting it to us at 573-326-4501. Again, that number is 573-326-4501. We are going to be recording today's session. So if you want to go back and listen to any of the remarks, this recording will be available on our Facebook page. So you can just go to Facebook and search for Missouri Farm Bureau. We will also be uh, recording the audio of this session and releasing it on our podcast, Digging In with Missouri Farm Bureau, which you can subscribe to at mofb.org slash podcast. We're also going to be including a link to the video in tomorrow's Missouri Farm Bureau newsletter. If you're not signed up for the newsletter, you can go to mofb.org newsletter and enter your email address to sign up. With that, um, I appreciate everybody again joining us today, and I'll turn it over to Missouri Farm Bureau President Garrett Hawkins. Garrett? Well, thank you, Spencer. Again, thank you everyone for tuning in today. If uh, you joined us for the first session a couple of weeks ago, I hope you enjoyed it and welcome back. If this is your first time, thanks for tuning in and hope you continue to. You know, a lot's happened, it seems like, in the last couple of weeks. Um, just to give you a, just a thumbnail sketch, uh, we have weighed into our federal congressional delegation with our priority issues. Uh, spanning everything from traditional farm policies, we think ahead to the next farm bill, obviously regulation uh, that runs the gamut, a lot of issues that are on our radar screen there, and then clearly infrastructure, but i uh, love to talk about some of those with you um, as we progress through these series. I'd also note that we've sent a letter to the delegation uh, today, uh, letting them know a Farm Bureau policy opposing a hike in the federal minimum wage. That's something that's really gaining traction, it seems like. And so there is a standalone bill that's been introduced, the Raise the Wage Act, and we wanted to make sure that our delegation is aware of our member adopted policy on that issue. But obviously the biggest issue that we've dealt with the last couple of weeks uh, has been the weather, right? Uh, I don't know about you all, but I'm ready to put this 10-day uh, stretch uh, behind us. If I don't have to unthaw water lines again the rest of this season, I would be thrilled. And I know many of you have lost hours of sleep, making sure that your livestock are cared for. Many of you are calving right now. We calve in the fall. Uh, thank goodness, at least this year. But uh, it has certainly been a challenging time. Our guests today know exactly what it's like to endure through that challenging time. And our first uh, guest is Governor Mike Parson, who is a fellow cattleman. 
I'd say he's fed just a few bales of hay and chopped some ice during his time. Governor, I have to say we couldn't be more proud uh, of the job that you're doing and to say that you are our 57th governor. You know, when I think about leadership, I think about the steady hand that you have shown from the very beginning. And I can't think of a state leader who has been more tested during their tenure than you have. And if anything, what we have seen is calm and preparedness and you've put in place the A-team, so to speak, of staff, as well as a cabinet who have public servants' hearts, who are here for the right reasons and that share your vision of how we're going to move this state forward. So I so appreciate as a, as a fellow livestock producer that you bring that common sense and that work ethic to the governor's office and appreciate all that you do every day and thank you for joining us today and welcome your comments. All right. Thank you, Garrett. Uh, good to be here today. Thanks, everybody, for joining me today. Uh, Garrett mentioned uh, one thing that I think uh, that I've relied on all my life from starting on that little farm in Hickory County uh, and some of the hardest times I've been through in 11 months, but it does come down to common sense. It comes down to faith and common sense and how you deal with situations in critical moments. And uh, what Garrett said is true. Uh, there's, I, I have a tremendous uh, team in place here in Jefferson City. Uh, they're just good, solid workers just trying to do the right thing for Missourians. I've got some directors uh, that I'm so proud of. One of them is going to be speaking to you here in a minute, but I'm going to take care. I'm going to take up some of her time. She always gets to talk to you guys all the time. So I know Chris is waiting in the, in the batter's box to do the cleanup after I get done, but uh, great what she's doing for agriculture in the state of Missouri. And the other thing, I just want to tell you how proud I am to be a farmer. Uh, now, I don't know how proud I'm going to be when I go home this weekend. Hopefully, them cows are out there and they got hay and it's not frozen up. Uh, but, you know, just actually being a real farmer every day, doing something I love to do and being the governor of the state of Missouri to come with a background like all of you that are listening today. But let me tell you this. The last 11 months has been probably the most difficult 11 months in my career. But I will tell you this. There's a lot of good things going on in this state. We handled something that nobody knew how to handle. There was no playbook for it. You had to draw your own and you had to do what was right and stay the course. And what I simply did was took a balanced approach. I tried to keep businesses open, try to keep farmers in business, try to make sure our kids were in school, make sure we could go to church and still deal with, with the, one of the scariest pandemics that any of us have had to go through. And by doing that, thank goodness, now that you're looking back under 11 months, we did the right thing. And it's why we are excelling in Missouri. We're in the top 10 in the United States in economic recovery. We are now top 10 in the unemployment rate in the United States of America. We are second in the nation with apprenticeship programs. And why is that important to all of you listening? Because that's our kids and our grandkids I'm talking about when I say things like that. When I go through the education side of things, one of the things I've really stressed on in, in the education system as we go today, why I'm so proud that 83% of the students in this state were in a classroom setting. And you know why that was? Because they were in rural Missouri settings. They were people that were dedicated to their communities and knew how important that education was. So we're putting a lot of emphasis on high school students to prepare for the workforce of tomorrow, which means agriculture jobs, means agriculture business, it means farming, it means investments, it means finances, things that they can do here in the state of Missouri. And we're not only just talking that, we're putting money behind it to make sure our high school kids know what opportunities they have when they get out. And one of the things we do that is a work keys assessment program and a certificate for high school students. 
We hope to be able to take 12,000 high school students through that this year to be able to have a work ready certificate that they can go to work here in Missouri, that we can meet the demands of the workforce tomorrow. Some of the things, the obstacles are facing that we well know that we talk about in Missouri all the time. I know Farm Bureau has been a leader in that, but broadband. Uh, you know, ever since I've been governor, we've tried to expand broadband. I know Chris has talked about it. We all have, but I'll just be honest with you. When that pandemic hit, we've seen and know we have a lot more to do in rural Missouri for broadband. And we got to step our game up to be able to compete on the marketplaces, to be able to do your farming, to be able to just to have our kids obtain an education. Uh, we've got to do a better job. So my old theory is if we put electricity in everybody's house, we put broadband there. We just got to figure out the solutions to do that. So I think that's good. Uh, workforce development always is a key to me to be able to do that. Infrastructure is a key. Uh, one of the great things that happened over the last 11 months uh, with, the, with the program we did when I first became governor, where we were trying to replace 250 of the state bridges, the worst and poorest bridges, which mainly were in rural areas, over 100 of those projects have been completed as I speak to you today. So that was all going on during this whole entire time. 550 projects were done statewide and simply we're able to do more because uh, of, the, of the of people staying at home a little more than what they normally do. So we were able to get a lot of that done. All our major projects in the state, I-70, the Roachport Bridge, which is huge to transportation across our state, the Buck O'Neill Bridge in Kansas City, the I-270 corridor in St. Louis, all is on schedule. And uh, we haven't made it, missed any delays at all on any of that. So that's the good news. Still a lot more to do in infrastructure, still a lot more to do on broadband. And when I speak of broadband, a lot of times we think of that as education uh, type scenarios, which it is. But also, we also realize how important telemedicine is and telehealth is and how we're able to do, be able to do that. Along with, in that infrastructure base, as you know, up north, East Locust Reservoir, we've got money in the budget to try to finish some of those projects up there to make sure that we have water in, in those situations to do that. So I think those are important things as we move forward. We're still going to really be an emphasis on workforce development and infrastructure. Uh, the other thing for farmers, I think one thing that we don't think about, especially like where I come from and you don't live by a river, uh, but the ports are going to be a huge issue for agriculture in the future of our state. Uh, what we're seeing with the Panama Canal and, and our southern uh, uh, states down there when they open up uh, the ports more with technology, you're going to see much more product going up and down the rivers. And we men in Missouri in the heart of our country have a huge opportunity to capitalize on that. So I think that's an area that uh, I know I've talked to Senator Blunt on many occasions, uh, finding additional funding for that. So I think that's an area sometimes for most of us we don't think too much about. But again, it's about getting your product out, getting product in and being how we make sure that we meet the, the shipments and the supplies from overseas to the United States. The other thing I know Chris will talk to you more in detail of things that her, that she's doing to trying to make everybody's life a little easier. But the bottom line is, you know what, if you're a farmer in the state of Missouri, I don't know that nothing comes very easy. You know, all of us have had to work all our lives to be able to, because we love doing what we do and we're going to continue to do that. The one thing I want to do more than probably trying to make your life easier, but I'm going to try to make sure government's out of your way. So you go out there and do what you like to do every day taking care of that land and everything, because I firmly believe that. There will be some challenges, 
and Farm Bureau will play a key role in this. And I know we'll be working with Garrett and Chris a lot. You have a new administration that has a different theory in Washington, D.C. than most of us on this when it comes to the to the environment and, and the ways we do things. So we're going to have to really be all of us united to a pretty good front to be able to battle some of these issues, because I know some of them going to come back that we thought were put to bed and we don't have to deal with. So anyhow, you know, and let me just finish up real quick uh, for rural Missouri. I know one of the issues that's been in the news lately is the vaccine. Look, guys, we're, we're pretty, you men and women are on here, we're pretty used to this when supply doesn't meet the demand. And that's exactly the situation we're in. Nobody's getting any more vaccine than anybody. And I will assure you as governor, uh, whatever's fair for the urban areas is going to be fair to the rural areas. And we're going to try to do the best we can to get vaccine to the most vulnerable people in our state and continue to do that the best we can with what supplies we have. But I just want to assure everybody that's a, something I'm very in tune to to want to make sure that we're all treated fair, whether you live in Mercer County up by the Iowa line or you live in Jackson County in Kansas City, uh, people are going to get the same opportunity to get a vaccine as soon as we can get it to them. So with that, Garrett, that was probably a pretty lengthy introduction. You might have got more than you wanted there, but uh, I told you I was going to take some of Chris's time. So on that, but thanks for having me on and just appreciate everybody being on today. Well, thank you, Governor. Before you before you have to drop off uh, due to your schedule, I do. Yeah, you know, you're very much aware of the energy issue that we have seen, uh, especially the weather events in Texas and, and other states all across the country, really. Uh, it's brought to the forefront, again, the importance of infrastructure when it comes to our energy supply, as well as the power grid. You know, some of our members have called in because they either experienced a blackout temporarily or have received notification that it could be coming for a temporary amount of time. You know, what are you hearing, uh, not just state level, but from fellow governors as well as we think about energy in this country? Well, I, th I think it's the same problem a lot of us know for a long time. You know, it's great to have alternative energy, but the reality of it is a lot of the alternative energy cannot meet the demands. And you've seen what happened just in a short order. All of a sudden, well, we can't meet the demands when wind turbines go down and they freeze up and they can't provide the services they need or whether natural gas, you can't get it to you. What, whatever the alternatives are, I mean, we're, we all want to take care of the environment, but the reality of it is uh, we cannot just totally depend on alternative energy in times like this. And not only that, we can't afford to do it. Uh, I mean, some of the prices I'm seeing around the state right now in these small communities are just out of, just totally almost up over 200%, and that's in a day or two. There's no way you can sustain that. So we're going to be calling for some actions on the state level to try to help with that. But I think in the broad picture, myself, other governors realize that, look, we got to look at energy as what it is and what our resources are that we have. And I'm all for trying to figure out to do it better, but the reality of it is we're not ready just totally dependent on just uh, alternative energy at this point. Well, thank you for being that, again, voice of common sense. All of us, you know, Farm Bureau, you're well aware that we've always taken a big picture, all of the above approach when it comes to energy. And you well know, as an energy intensive sector, like everyone, we have to have that reliability. And so we're, we're ready to continue working on this issue as well. Well, I, th I think that's an issue we will be working on. I think this just highlighted 
uh, right off the top of why it is so important. We got to use a little common sense here. We got to take a balanced approach to this. You know, the bottom line is uh, whether people like hearing it or not, this state's dependent on coal by 80% to get our energy, 80%. So, you know, to think you can do without that overnight is just not even practical to think in those terms. Well, thank you for all you're doing, Governor. We appreciate you and certainly appreciate your time today. Yeah. Well, thank you. And I haven't been, I know you got a lot of members on today, but I haven't publicly been able to just say congratulations to you. Uh, I, I know we've met at a couple of occasions. So uh, congratulations uh, and good luck with everything. And I'll just give you this from a governor's perspective. When you sit in those seats, there's, you know, the bad thing about those seats, when you turn around, there's nobody behind you to ask or bail you out. So good luck with that as you move forward. But uh you're a good young guy. Uh, you do a great job as leader of Farm Bureau. You got a bunch of great people out there to help you. So uh, best of wishes to you and your family. Well, thank you. And I'm certainly proud that we farm just north of you all, just up the road. So uh, glad that we're from the same part of the state. Makes me proud. All right. Thanks for having me on today, Garrett. Appreciate you. Thank you. All right, Director. Uh, I think... Uh, Yes, so Director Chin is also with us today and uh, couldn't be more happy to have a familiar face, uh, a fellow Farm Bureau member uh, join us uh, to give an update. You know, here's an, another example of a leader who has experienced test after test after test in terms of challenges that we face in agriculture and being in the position to get something done to, to help all farmers and ranchers and, and really all Missourians from the role of director of agriculture. I know firsthand the challenges and the issues that come up on a daily basis and just the scope of, of what the department handles on behalf of all Missourians really is remarkable. So, so it's great to have uh, Director Chris Chin with us today. I'm sure she's gonna touch on energy and some of the department's priorities, but Chris uh, certainly been thinking about your family as well. I know Kevin and everybody has been, very busy and like everyone are tired and ready for this weather to break um, as are you so so just know thanks for all that you've been doing to to be that voice to to let everyone know what this <laughs> what this weather streak has meant to agriculture and thanks for all that you continue to do for your seat so chris well thanks garrett and thanks for the opportunity to be with you guys today and as you said it has been a really tough few weeks for the agriculture community, especially if you have livestock on your farm. You know, we had a great harvest this year, probably the best harvest that we've seen since I was set in the seat as director of agriculture. Um, and so that means there's a lot of grain to get to market. Um, a lot of farmers had contracts that they were trying to fill um, and this hard weather has prevented them from being able to make those deliveries on time. And so it's been tough, not just for our livestock guys, but also for our row crop farmers as well. Um, you know, we've seen great market prices right now, but for some of us, we sold our grain at, at harvest time, and so we're not able to take advantage of that. And so, you know, with that's always hindsight is always better. Um, but if you're the guy that sold back at harvest time, you're feeling a little down right now. But if you still have grain in the bin, um, you're feeling a little happy because things are really looking good right now for the grain markets. Um, our livestock markets have rebounded, but these high feed costs have also been a little bit of a setback. And then as the governor mentioned, the higher energy costs that we're all experiencing right now um, complicates that matter as well. At the department, um, we have not been immune to all of these challenges, as you well know. 
State Fair this year was pivoted to a livestock fair only for our youth. And while that was successful and we had many first time exhibitors, it also put us in a, in a financial bind. Um, we are currently seeking a $1.6 million supplemental spending bill for the state fair to be able to get us to the state fair and through the 2021 state fair so that it's normal like we are um, used to seeing when you go to the state fairgrounds. If you were there this year, it was very empty. Um, you could drive your vehicle any place you wanted, which was really nice. Um, but it also wasn't the way we want to see the state fair um, because we want to make sure that everyone's able to come out and enjoy that. So that's something we've been working really hard on. Another priority for us at the Department of Agriculture is to have a few upgrades to our feed and seed lab. As we all know, technology and agriculture continues to improve on a daily basis. And the same is true for our laboratories. Um, we need to replace some outdated equipment that we have and actually add in a new piece of equipment that will allow us to do more testing in state instead of having to outsource it to other states like Iowa. Um, but more importantly, it will give us a quicker turnaround time so that we can get those feed and seed results back to people in a more timely manner. Right now, it's taking us anywhere for two to three weeks on some of these um, tests that we have to send out of state. And if we could do it in state, we can get those results to people faster. And, and that's really what it's all about is trying to improve the service that we have and to do more um, for you, the citizens of the state of Missouri. Um, MASVIDA tax credits, that's another thing that is going to be a priority for us. Um, MASVIDA, which is, stands for the Missouri Agriculture and Small Business Development Authority. Many of you are very familiar with MASVIDA. It's kind of the financial arm of the Department of Agriculture. Um, but our tax credits are up for renewal this year. And so we need the legislative um, authority to be able to do that. We have five that are up for renewal. Um, the New Generation Cooperative Incentive Tax Agreement, which many of you guys are tax credit, I'm sorry, many of you guys know because you've purchased into shares of ethanol plants and biodiesel plants using this. Um, our Ag Product Utilization Contributor Tax Credit, our Value Added Agriculture Grant, our Meat Processing Tax Credit, and our Family Farm Breeding Livestock Loan Program. Um, so these are really important tools to our rural communities. And it's not just to our farms and ranches that it impacts. It actually has a lot of impact to our rural community because these programs allow us to have job creation in our rural areas, which is really important. Um, it also helps maintain a strong rural economy, which is also very important. There's a lot of, of local demand for these and the return on investment has been great. It's been um, $247 million in direct benefits and indirect benefits through these tax credits to our rural communities. Um, so we're really excited about these tax credits. We want to make sure that this is a tool that remains in agriculture's toolbox moving forward um, to be a resource to people to help them make new things happen in these rural communities because we all know that our rural community's backbone is definitely agriculture. Another priority that we have at the department is our pesticide certification and training program. When I first came to the Department of Agriculture, I had many of you reach out to me and say, hey, wait a minute, we, we really want you to look into this because um, you know, that old BCR tape that we're watching, it needs to be updated. And we heard you loud and clear. Um, EPA has actually updated their standards and we have to do something. We're going to be needing 
the legislative um, authority to change the statute so that we can be compliant with the EPA rules and regulations. Because if we don't, EPA will be coming in and doing this responsibility instead of the state of Missouri. And we heard a lot of you say, we do not want EPA on our farms and ranches. We'd much rather deal with you at the Department of Agriculture. And the governor knows the, how important it is to make sure the Department of Agriculture is continuing to lead this um, program and not EPA. And so the University of Missouri is our educational um, partner in this. And so there will be $430,000 that will go to um, this program to make sure that we can have training programs that are compliant with the EPA standards and that are more modern. And so that means delivering them in an online format so that people can do this training whenever it's more convenient for them. You don't have to take a day away from your farm and go sit in a classroom somewhere. This is a training that you could do of an evening or on the weekend even. So we're really excited about that opportunity and it will be a priority for us moving forward because if we don't get the job done here in Missouri, EPA is gonna come do it for us and none of us wanna see that happen. Um, another highlight for us at the Department of Agriculture is our meat processing um, grants. The legislature gave us $20 million in CARES Act funding last summer because they saw the challenges that we were experiencing in the livestock industry of having slowed down plants or in some states, they actually closed down some plants. And so this caused a lot of animals to be backed up on farms a lot of people when they went to the grocery store saw empty shelves and they were scared. So they started reaching out directly to farmers and ranchers and they wanted to um, source their protein from a more local uh, source. But the challenge was when you call one of those local meat processors in your community, you've got a 12 to 18 month and sometimes up to 24 month wait to get those animals processed. And so because of this $20 million that was put into our budget, we were able to offer grants that were for small and medium-sized processors, up to 200 employees. And we would give them up to $200,000 um, to try and make improvements, expand, or even create new opportunities in those local communities. And as a result, we have doubled the amount of meat that's going to be under state inspection at the Department of Agriculture. So with that, comes a lot of growing pains for us as well. So we've had to add a lot of new staff and get them trained up because these businesses can't open their doors if we don't have an inspector that is going to be able to be present on day one to allow them to um, be in operation. And so the last thing that me or the governor wants is for the Department of Agriculture to be the reason that someone can't open up their doors. And so we are going to be seeking additional funding um, to support the growth of this program. This was an industry that was already in the process of expanding and growing prior to the pandemic. Um, but the pandemic really accelerated the focus on those small and local processors. And we're excited about that because these are some jobs that are going to be going into local communities and they're very needed. Um, but more importantly, it's gonna be helping people connect directly to the farmers and ranchers who are producing their food. And it opens up the door for farmers and ranchers who wanna take that dive into direct marketing, it gives them more of an opportunity to do that. And so we're excited about that opportunity as well at the department. Um, as always, we continue to focus on the Missouri, the Mississippi River. We watch those very closely. Um, as you guys know, this, this freezing weather right now um, has some ice jams going on that we've not really seen um, here on the Missouri River, especially on the Missouri um, portion of it. And so we are keeping an eye on that. 
um, and continue to talk with each of you anytime that we see you um, out at a meeting or in our communities about some of the concerns that you have. So we just want you to know we are here for you. Um, we're your Department of Agriculture and we're here to serve you. I'm very proud of my team here at the department. Many of them were born on a farm. Some of them still live and work on their family farms um, in their off time. And we're really excited um, to have them on our team and to be able to serve you. So anytime you guys need something, please reach out to us. And Garrett, thank you for the opportunity to talk with your members today um, and to be here to support Missouri agriculture, especially through the last 10 days that we've had. It's, it's been tough. Um, I know many of you guys are, are probably sitting here um, during your lunchtime to warm up um, and take take part in this. So thank you guys for that. Um, if this had been an in-person meeting, I think it would have been very hard to have um, because of all the challenges that you're all facing at home on your farms and ranches. So thank you guys for letting me take up a few minutes of your agenda. Director, thank you as always. Appreciate you um, helping us understand the issues on your plate uh, from a department standpoint, uh, issues that all of us care about because ultimately they impact each one of us and all Missourians. So I do wanna give you a special thank you to you and the governor, your team at the department for the work that you did in implementing the small and medium uh, size meat processor grant program. I know that was a monumental effort to, to get that done and to do it in a way uh, that you did from a customer service standpoint and just know it's appreciated. It hasn't gone unnoticed. And I think for all of us farmers and for communities, we are going to feel the effects, the positive impacts for, for years to come as a result. So, so please tell your team, thank you again for the job that they did. So with that, Spencer, are we ready for questions? We are, yep, sorry. The Zoom always causes us to jump ahead, I feel like. So um, we are ready to take questions for President Hawkins and the director. Just a reminder that if you are watching on Zoom, you can type your question into the Q&A box at the bottom of your screen. If you're watching on Facebook Live, please feel free to type your comments or your question into the comment area. And then lastly, if you're listening on the phone, you can text us a question by texting 573-326-4501. Again, that's 573-326-4501. Looks like we've had a few questions come in already. Um, so the first question, this is an interesting one. I think President Hawkins, this might be more for you. Um, Terry asks, what are your thoughts uh, on the appointment of Cory Booker to the Senate Ag Committee in the U.S. Senate? Uh, what, what are your thoughts about how we handle his appointment to Senate Ag and maybe just the outlook of what's going on in Washington? Well, um, there's opportunity and challenge with that, with that appointment. So let, let's, let's keep in mind that um, I think the media have covered very well uh, Senator Booker's position on a lot of issues pertaining to agriculture, particularly to, to animal agriculture. So I guess if you look for the positive is we know the lay of the land in terms of we know that he has very strong feelings and concerns about livestock production in the U.S. Um, he also um, perhaps feels a little bit differently in terms of eating <laughs> and his diet per se. So I say there's always opportunity. We, we know how he feels at least on these issues. So that gives us at least a way to, to try to, to think through as particularly as we gear up for the next farm bill and, and other matters. Um, we at least know what we're working with and can 
strategize accordingly. Also, we have to lean on our senators from Missouri and other state farm bureaus, right, to, to try to help educate and inform and ultimately help us play the des best defense we can uh, on matters that are going to come up um, within the Senate Ag Committee and, and other committees on the Hill. So, so not trying to dodge the question. It's just, you know, I personally don't know Cory Booker. I know the same thing that you all have read, and I have the same concerns. And uh, we just have to do our best to, to try to navigate as he put forth proposals that perhaps we don't agree with. Great, thank you, President Hawkins. Uh, we do have a couple of questions coming in from Facebook. This one's for Director Chin. Uh, and we appreciate all the members of the media who are joining us today. Um, but from Facebook, Troy Treasure with the Shelby County Herald in Shelbyville asks, what are the recent developments in international ag trade that stand to benefit the state's farmers? You know, I think our trade um, agreements have really been a boost to the ag economy. We're seeing record prices um, for our grains, and that's because of a lot of the purchases that we have had happen from China. Um, China trade has really picked up, um, especially on the livestock side. We've been able to export more um, protein than we normally do to China. And so I think those international free trade agreements um, have really benefited us on our family farms. It's something that has helped add um, resiliency into our, our markets. And it's something that is a bright spot for us to look to in agriculture. 2020 has been such a challenging year. There weren't a lot of bright spots, but you know, seeing trade pick up with China definitely was some of the good medicine that we were waiting to see happen because previous years had been really challenging when it, when it came to trade issues. So Chris, our director, if I may, I'll just chime in. We uh, state Farm Bureau presidents had a, uh, a trade update with USDA uh, last week or the week before. And you hit the nail on the head in terms of the positive news coming from China in terms of the uptick in sales. But I was also encouraged by uh, results on the sanitary and phytosanitary trade barriers that have been longstanding with China and the list of issues that have been resolved and the issues that China is showing willingness to, willingness to come back to the table and to work with our trade representatives to try to resolve. And that's a good thing when we can address these longstanding barriers to trade. And that's why in part, we're seeing this uptick uh, in sales. So, so that's good. All right, definitely a lot of interesting things happening in international trade. A question came in from Jonathan All from St. Louis Public Radio. What are your thoughts about USDA possibly mandating RFID chips on cattle? Who wants to take that one first? All right. So when it comes to national animal identification, this isn't a new issue to Farm Bureau, right? We've been a part of these discussions really since... Uh, the first cow in Washington state in 2003, I believe that really then jump-started discussions on a comprehensive national animal ID program. Uh, our policy has been clear for well over a decade that, that we believe any type of national program should be voluntary. Um, and again, we are all, 
we care very much about um, animal health and making sure that we have the systems in place to do tracebacks. Uh, the director knows full well the importance of animal health and the work that her team does in the event of an animal health issue. Um, at the same time, we have to make sure that whatever USDA does at the national level isn't overly burdensome and costly on, on livestock producers. And the issue with RFD, RFID for some time has been, can that technology actually keep up with the speed of commerce? And that's what uh, Kansas Department of Agriculture and their sector has really been looking at, looking at technologies, looking at how animals flow through through livestock markets and can the technology keep up. So, so anything that USDA puts out, just know that we are going to be advocating that, that listen, you know, we have to be able to keep up and this can't be burdensome on the livestock sector. We have to be able to move at the speed of commerce. And so there, as always, there are always issues with animal ID. So Chris, I don't know if you have any thoughts, but you know, clearly you have a team that's dedicated to animal health. So Garrett, I think you summed it up very well. Um, I think we are watching this issue very closely. We wanna make sure, as Garrett said, that this is voluntary because every farm, every farm family is in a different situation, especially when it comes to finances. And so we wanna make sure that this is not an unfunded mandate on the agriculture community that could further force family farms out of business. Um, you never know what your neighbor's going through. And so we wanna make sure that um, we're, we're very careful in that moving forward. Um, I think another thing we need to work, think about is the impacts that it will have on trade agreements and being in compliance with, um, you know, global trade regulations that are set by the WTO. Um, and so I think that's something that we need to be very cautious of moving forward. Um, and we are going to be a partner with USDA. We're going to talk with them. We're going to weigh in um, as we hear from our Missouri cattlemen and women and our other livestock producers in the state, um, because we want to make sure your voices are heard at USDA. We had a question come in over text um, for Director Chin. When you say we need legislative action to keep the EPA out of the training here in Missouri for private pesticide applicators, what changes exactly are you talking about it and, and what does the department's proposal look like? Yeah, we just got to make sure we get our, our statutes in compliance with what the regulations are from EPA. And so we just need to update that statute um, to allow us to train to the, um, the new requirements that EPA is going to be requiring. It's, it's more technical data. Um, there's going to be 13 core competencies that we have to train to now before there was just five. So just some technical cleanup to make sure that we're in compliance and that our state um, statute is in compliance with the federal authority. Okay, great. Uh, we had a question from Laura down in Cape County. Uh, for either one of you, how do you anticipate the new Biden administration will impact the recent progress we've seen in international trade? Uh, Director Chin, I know you mentioned China, but I'm sure there were other progress made as well. So uh, what are either of your thoughts on that? We, you know, recently I heard um, one of the spokesmen for the Biden administration said that they did not want to halt trade in further negotiations with China, and I thought that was very promising. So there are some issues that this administration wants to hold China accountable to or to bring up for further clarification, but right now they're saying that they do not want to stop trade that is happening, and so I think that is promising. Um, we're optimistic about that. I think this administration is more focused on 
um, climate and green issues than they are really on the trade issues. And so I think that is going to be where their main focus is in the next 12 months at least. I would agree, Spencer. I, I would just say, you know, President Biden during his service in the U.S. Senate, you know, he has had that interest in trade and foreign relations. And so, you know, I guess my hope is that, um, you know, every administration may take a little different stance on trade, but my hope is we see somewhat consistency, <laughs> right, after some of the turmoil that we've experienced in recent years. I mean, ultimately, you know, we want results. We need markets to be open and we need barriers to, to be taken down. And that's what we hope that, that sometimes it does involve tough conversations to, to work through uh, difficult issues. Hopefully we're gonna continue to make progress on China. Hopefully there are other um, countries uh, that the Biden administration will look at over time and continue to build on the success that we have had in recent years of at least addressing some longstanding barriers. And uh, there you go. Okay, great. Just a reminder, you can put your questions in the Q&A box or type them into Facebook. Um, the next two questions I'm actually going to kind of lump together. Um, the first part of the question comes from our friend Julie Harker over at Brownfield, and then Laura from Cape County also had a follow-up question. And Director Chen, they're both related to Missouri's industrial hemp program. So the first question is, what is the status of the program currently? And then why is it necessary or, or what is the background on providing hemp producers names and addresses on the department website? Uh, and is that something that's necessary for the program to continue? So thanks for that question. Um, in our inaugural year, the Missouri Industrial Hemp Program, we had 207 producer registrations and 78 agricultural hemp propagule and seed permits that were approved. Additionally, we had 80 industrial hemp samplers who were certified to, to collect those um, compliance samples. Of the 207 producer registrations that were approved, approximately two thirds planted in 2020 for the statewide total of 811 acres. So the majority of these acres were planted for floral or for fiber harvest. And we have um, a lot of information that if, if you would like to follow up with us, Julie, we can give you a lot more of those details. Um, as you all know, the federal rule has been um, released and we are still working with USDA to make sure that we are doing everything as a state to be compliant um, with those rules and regulations. We think we're in pretty good shape. Um, and so we're excited about that because that means that we did things right. Um, when it comes to the hemp sampling, um, I think we are one of the few states that were actually doing that in the manner that we were. And we're excited that USDA has approved that and that other states are going to be following in the path that we set forward. And I think you see that a lot with Missouri is that sometimes our ideas get picked up on the national level um, and they get replicated. And so that's always a compliment. Um, so we're still trying to figure out some of those details as far as the listing of the names and things of that on our on our website, Julie. And um, so we'd be happy to follow up with you later on that um, and get you the clarity that you're looking for. All right, thanks, Director Chin. 
Uh, we have a few more questions in the queue. Um, Lane asks for President Hawkins, um, what are your thoughts on the North Dakota House bill that if passed would somehow enable the state to nullify federal actions that they deem unconstitutional? Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that legislation. I know there's a similar proposal maybe in the state of Missouri and I think BJ Tanksley is on as well. Um, so it may, may, may take both of you to answer, but I'll turn it over to you, Mr. Hawkins. Well, let me, let's have BJ give a quick state update in terms of if there is a state of play and then we'll go from there. Sorry, uh, coming to life here. Um, BJ Tasley, state legislative director. Um, the, the big newsmaker on this would probably be the, I think the house has called it the second amendment preservation act, uh, which is talking about uh, gun control, um, at the federal level, the state, state sees as unconstitutional and not allowing um, local jurisdictions to enforce those laws. That's probably the biggest newsmaker on this front. Um, it always becomes a sticky issue when you talk about state law versus federal law um, and whether or not we're going to take part in those. Um, that's, like I said, the Second Amendment Preservation Act is probably the one making the biggest news. It um, passed the House, I believe, haven't had any movement on the Senate side. We will see how that goes. Probably, if I had to guess, not going to get quite as much attention on the Senate side, or it will. We'll see how that goes. But it, but it has been a big newsmaker on the House <laughs> legislature goes. Um, that's been the big newsmaker. Sorry, I, I don't have a lot beyond that related to uh, similar bills to North Dakota's. So, so Lane, I guess what I will do in the meantime, you give me an item to put on my list. I'll, I'll look up the North Dakota bill. I think it, it, it's indicative of the concern that that people have potentially about the regulatory climate and other issues that we see surfacing in Washington, D.C., right? Uh, we experienced that during the eight years of the Obama administration when we spent a great deal of time and energy and effort um, battling regulation, right? And, and so I think it, it's as we think about how we best um, influence policy, particularly policies that are gonna be coming down through the pike that, that may not be consistent with Farm Bureau policy, we're gonna to have to figure out, um, it'll probably be in all options on the table, right? As we figure out how we, how we best uh, defend and protect agriculture, as well as try to make a positive impact on, on many of these issues. So climate is one of those prime examples as we think about uh, what may come about from USDA and others on, on carbon sequestration and overall the climate agenda. And that's where it is imperative that we be at the table um, trying to make sure that our positions are very well known and then working with all of you, our grassroots members to make sure that your voices are heard in the process. So. In the meantime, I'll look up, uh, I'll see what's going on with the North Dakota bill. Garrett, I think the other thing I would throw in there just real quickly is one of the things that was frustrating in previous administrations was how slowly things end up evolving. You know, you have a new administration, you hope to see a lot of movement quickly. In this situation, we may have members that are concerned with some of the things they're hearing, but that same thing is going to be into play here. Although there's a lot of talk at the beginning of a new administration, those things don't always happen as quickly as they may hope. Uh, and so these will be longer conversations and not things that happen or are implemented immediately. And I think that's something for everyone to keep in mind. 
Well, so, so BJ, you raise a good point. So take stepped up basis. The ag media has done a great job covering uh, the administration's approach potentially to, to tax policy because of some of the things that were said on the campaign trail. And clearly when we think about agriculture, when we think about death tax, when we think about capital gains, when we think about stepped up basis, there are issues that are critical to, to our bottom lines and we need sound tax. These are things that are going to unfold over the next, not the next few weeks, but the next months and year, right? As we get into to budget proposals, et cetera. And that's going to be very important that we're as proactive as possible. I appreciate where you all are already talking about stepped up basis and some of the tax issues, particularly as we're in tax season, so that people understand what these tax provisions mean to, to our farms and ranches. So, so. As always, we have a lot of work to do and we're never without challenges, but it wouldn't be agriculture if we didn't have challenges constantly in front of us. Those are all great points, Garrett and BJ, and, and definitely we have a lot of work ahead of us. Um, well, I think that's all the time we have for questions. I appreciate everybody who joined us this afternoon. Um, Garrett, I will turn it back over to you for any closing remarks and then take us out. Okay, well, thank you. I, I had to, get away from a snowy background and at least give green somewhere and give hopes that maybe spring will be here sooner rather than later. I certainly hope we don't go from winter directly to summer like we've experienced, it seems like, uh, in, in recent years. But thanks to Governor Parson and Director Chin for joining us for this second installment of the Legislative Briefing Series. We're going to continue to, to try to bring you every couple of weeks some timely issues, timely speakers, and allow you to interact with our great legislative team here at Missouri Farm Bureau. So stay warm. Uh, again, hopefully uh, we are on the backside of this uh, terrible cold snap, and hopefully we're going to have this snow gone here before long. So then we're dealing with mud. So thanks, everybody, for, for joining us. Appreciate you.